0: The search for eternal youth has long been the fodder for myths and legends. Science has been pushing us closer toward extending healthy years of life and has set some people off on efforts to divide death altogether. Peter Ward, in his new book The Price of Immortality, The Race to Live Forever, explores a subculture of immortality seekers who have turned to cryonics as well as efforts to merge man with technology as a way to escape death. The growing understanding of the biology of aging and advances in regenerative medicine, though, are creating the potential to alter notions of human lifespans. We spoke to Ward about his book, Distinguishing Science Fact from Science Fiction, and the growing understanding of the biology of aging that offers the potential for extending healthy years of life. Peter, thanks for joining us.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be on the show.
0: We're going to talk about your new book, The Price of Immortality, The Race to Live Forever, various efforts to both extend healthy life and and achieve immortality, and where we are on the science behind all of this. Perhaps we should begin with the distinction between people in your book who are pursuing immortality and those working to extend healthy years of life. How different are these two groups and these two goals?
1: I think they're they're vastly different. Uh, The pursuit of of immortality or even radically extended life um, is is on the whole, I think, a a slightly more selfish goal. Um, These are people that want to live longer. Personally, they want to experience the future themselves. They don't want to die. Um, and they kind of will do whatever they need to do to get there. Um, obviously when, when you're chasing immortality, that is a much more ambitious goal than just living a little healthier for a little longer. Um, <laughs> it's, <laughs> and, and it's most likely impossible of course, if if especially if you take the meaning of immortality, literally the, the chances of, uh, you're living forever extremely remote. When you take into account that one day the sun will, will engulf the earth. Um, so it's, it's uh, as you can imagine, um, the people involved in immortality and a radically extended life, they tend to pursue things that are a little less scientific um, and they, they they can get drawn into ideas which which maybe don't have the kind of medical or, or scientific backing that, that you'd like to see. Um,
0: well, the book is filled with these colorful characters and, well, I think people working on or slowing or reversing aging have become rather mainstream. There is a cultish and almost religious quality to pursuing immortality. Why is this? What did you find?
1: I think immortality is an obsession that humans have always chased. One of the first recorded written stories is is the epic of of Gilgamesh, which is, of course, an immortality story. It's about central character chasing uh, uh, everlasting life um and then of course you have religion which is which is always picked up on this is this, this desire to sort of live forever and you, you obviously most uh, major western religions that one of the central parts of them is the promise of an eternal life that's more of a spiritual pursuit but it's still it, it's sort of picking at, at that nagging fear of death which seems to be built into all humans as some kind of survival instinct um so so given that kind of history, I guess it's it's not too surprising that there is this kind of cultish, sort of mystic vibe in in the in the immortality seekers. Um it, it's always been there. Um and a lot of the people that I spoke to that that describe themselves as immortalists, um they do sort of have a genuine feeling that they're doing something incredible. And 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 sometimes you sort of get this sense of superiority. Um and I think you get this a lot with ideas where people are looking far into the future. Um, my previous book was about space, and you kind of got a little bit of it in the in the space travel. If you went, the people that were pursuing um, the colonization of space, for example, it's sort of you don't even get this because it's so far into the future. Um, but unfortunately, that just means that you can you can look to the future as this mystical place, and you overlook what needs to be done to get there um so i think it's kind of a strange phenomenon but uh but quite common in in these kind of pursuits
0: one of the strains in the book is this notion of transhumanism from the 19th century russian philosopher feodorov to the american futurist ray Kurzweil. what is transhumanism and and has it taken hold as technology has advanced
1: yeah so transhumanism is is essentially it's a belief system that that a belief that basically we should use technology to enhance the human condition in, in any way possible that can be as simple as wearing contact lenses or um it can go and then it can go all the way up to to living longer or living forever um becoming some kind of cyborg um, so transhumanism is kind of a large umbrella term and, and then you have the immortalists which sit within that as one of the more sort of extreme branches of um of transhumanism um and if you speak to transhumanists some say that they, that strain of thinking goes back as far as the renaissance um but uh, in my case i sort of traced it back to where the immortalists a lot of them see see Fedorov as as this um uh, so, for example, the Church of Perpetual Life, which is a church which follows uh, immortality, which preaches that we can be, all can be immortal. Um, they list Fedorov as, as one of their prophets. Um, so he was a, a Russian librarian from the 19th century and philosopher. Um, and he wrote this book called The Common Task. And, uh, and that basically described how humans should all come together. Uh, they should master nature and in the process make themselves immortal and also bring back anyone that's ever lived um, and really conquered death. Um, So it's interesting that you see someone like him still being being used as a, as a sort of example in the transhumanist world. It's, uh, so you get this kind of strange blur of, of, uh, transhumanism. And and he was also a Christian and Christianity was, was very um, evident in his, in his thinking. Um, so yeah, they still sort of uh, talk about Fedorov today, even if I think a lot of them have have kind of misinterpreted some of his message.
0: Well, you bring up Christianity. That's you know certainly selling the idea of immortality and immortal life is is been ingrained in in religious traditions. Does that carry over with the the work of, of Fyodorov?
1: Um I think he's. Uh... I think that side of it has definitely been dropped. So transhumanists today don't, are mostly completely atheist and a lot of them are actually anti-religion. So I think weirdly they've taken his, his final ambition of everyone being immortal um, and kept that bit, but they've left out parts of, of how he wants to go about it, which is, which was quite a sort of spiritual message of the whole of humanity coming together. Um, He didn't, particularly believe in capitalism he didn't particularly believe in um you know he wouldn't have been a sort of elon musk type figure if he was around today uh, at all whereas i think maybe the transhumanists kind of see him sort of like that
0: a lot of the early efforts around immortality have centered on cryonics I, i assume this is just a reflection of the state of technology too but how does cryonics work
1: yeah, so cryonics for someone who wants to live forever is is described as their plan B. So if everything they do fails, then cryonics is is what they hope will be the kind of backstop that will that will let them live much longer. So in the absolute crudest terms, it's it's basically the freezing of a dead body. So when you die, they the body is frozen um, with the aim of bringing that body back to life when the technology uh, develops. Um, that that will allow them to do that. Um, so obviously it's a little bit more complex than that. Um, but the idea is essentially to keep the brain cold and by doing that to sort of store what makes you, you inside of it. Um, so that involves sort of putting some kind of biological antifreeze into the body, taking out the blood, um, and then lowering it to a, to a a very low temperature, um, and keeping it in, in a liquid nitrogen. Um, so this, yeah, it's a, this it's has been crazy. a
0: fledgling industry for for now about fifty years. How many people have been frozen, and how viable are these businesses?
1: So, at the last count, Alcor, which is which is the biggest cryonics practitioner, they have around I think um, one hundred ninety patients. That's what they call the, the people they've frozen, their patients. Um, so it's not it's it's difficult because. Uh, some of the numbers are not reliable from the other companies around the world. There aren't many of them. You could, you could definitely say that there's less than 1000 in the world. Um, And there've been obviously a number of cases where people have been frozen and then they've been defrosted um, whether that's through an accident or uh, there's a lot of weird stories in the history of cryonics. It's, it's full of um, almost comedic mishaps and slapstick events um where people do get uh defrosted by uh by accident
0: um i take but, when they get defrosted though no one has regained consciousness or life
1: no absolutely not um you
0: just kind of warmed it yeah
1: just you, you just warmed it and then at that point they're buried usually um it, it's kind of like uh, you just given up um in terms of how viable they are as businesses um it's it's a strange one um the obviously if if a cryonics company goes bankrupt and that's a really big problem one of the early issues with cryonics was funding it uh so the, the first person that ever uh cryo um a person uh bob nelson he he was looking after all these bodies who he that he'd and he ran out of money and um and he just he wasn't able to top up the capsules that they were hold it held in with um, the liquid nitrogen. So they just they just melted uh, and they came, they got extremely hot. And, and so there's no chance of them ever being reanimated. Um, so it's a risky endeavor.
0: Has the science and technology around cryomics evolved, made, made actual advances?
1: They've made some advances. There's the there's sort of sister science of, of, of cryobiology, which is just freezing it dealing with anything in low temperatures, which they do sort of take, um, inspiration from there, uh, the cryonocysts, um, not as much uh, evolution as, as you'd think. Um, it's a vastly different, um, procedure in terms of what chemicals go into the body to try and preserve it. Um, and, and then since the start, they've developed a new sort of option, which was, is just, uh, cryopreserving the head. So that's when they just cut off the head, um, and freeze the head and the body is buried. Um, so that's actually much more popular. It's a cheaper option as well. Um, and it kind of makes sense because you probably wouldn't, if you were very old when you died, you wouldn't want the same body anyway. Um, and (laughs) if you believe that that you're going to be reanimated, you may as well believe that you'll, you'll be given a shiny new body on the other side. Um, yeah. Is
0: there is there any evidence that it's possible to take a living organism that was frozen and bring it back to life?
1: Um not in not not in the way that cryonics does it. Um there's sort of vague sort of evidence of you know of people going into uh icy lakes and and dying uh, and then coming back and having all their memories. Um but there's 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 no suggestion that this will ever be possible, um, and there's also no suggestion that the the technique that they use to preserve people in cryonics is um, actually would actually be effective in in storing anything. And to be fair to cryonics uh, practitioners, they do kind of acknowledge that they they do see it as a long shot themselves, and so that's why it's Plan B. Um, but the the phrase that they roll out is it's it's better than being in the control group, which is what they see everyone who is not cry- cryogenically frozen.
0: <laughs> At the other end of those pursuing mortality are people who are looking to upload the mind. What is being imagined here?
1: Yeah, so there's a there's a couple of ways of of, of doing this theoretically. Obviously, it's it's not been done. Um, uh, so one would be to sort of record. Uh, the personality of a person um, what makes you you so one way of doing that would be to take everything you ever uh, interacted with every sort of message you send every phone call you made every every documented uh, communication uh, from you and then building a sort of uh, a version of yourself an AI version of yourself Um, and that obviously has a lot of flaws because we're not We're not the sum of our communication. There's a lot of things that that go on inside our heads that we don't communicate, which I think is a good thing. Maybe some people don't do that. I'm not sure, Um, (laughs) but I think, uh, yeah, so that way I don't think you're getting everything. So the other way is that you could scan someone's brain um, and just take everything out of it and and upload it somewhere. Um, And in terms of the technology, we have to do that. I think um, the last, we, we've done sort of a very tiny, tiny slither of a brain's, uh, of a, a mouse's brain. Uh, and that took months and months and months. Um, so we're nowhere near being able to scan a brain. And we're not even sure if you scan the brain, that would get everything that, that made up our consciousness. Um, some people think that, you know, even things like the, the microbiology of our gut um, has, an, has a, an impact on our personality and who we are. So it's oh, all very yeah. theoretical
0: do people see this as a way to preserve an individual's thoughts and experience or create some sort of digital self that a loved one might engage with? Or do they actually see themselves living and having new experiences as kind of a, a digital self?
1: Yeah, there's definitely some people do hope that they could create a a sort of digital entity and then, and then live a life afterwards. Um, it depends really how you how you define consciousness. If you if you see consciousness as, a, as if you see continuity as a key part of consciousness, then that doesn't really work. It, it would almost be just a copy of you. Um, but yeah, there is some people that think that you could download it into a robot of some kind and then and then create that. Um, there is there is groups like the terrorism movement who are who are working on this, and they are also a, a registered religion. Um, and, and they created a, a robot of, of, their founder's wife, um, the Bina robot. Um, and that's a, a sort of first attempt, but it's, it's nothing like you'd imagine. It's only from the neck up and it doesn't really sound or, or, or act like a human. Um, but, but they do collect sort of these things they call mind files, which, uh, which you can, uh, sort of give them all your information and they try and store that in every way possible. Um, Yeah. So it's, there are people trying it, but there's huge sort of philosophical questions, which need to be, to be answered first. I mean, like my, for example, like my 60 year old self will probably be extremely different to who I am now. So which one of those would I preserve? Which one is me, I guess, is is one of the key questions. Um, and, and then also there's, there's the question of memories. Um, we lose memories. Um, some memories are only triggered by, um, people, places, or experiences, so um, if we were just catapulted into the future as, as this digital version of ourselves, then we'd lose a lot of who we are because we wouldn't have those triggers to, to bring those memories to the front of our minds.
0: There is a lot of scientific research being conducted today into the biology of aging. You reference work on the hallmarks of aging. How well is the biology of aging understood today?
1: I think for a long time, it seems like it's been underfunded and under-researched. Um, it, it was only fairly recently that people seriously started to look into the biology of aging uh, with with the sort of aim uh, and the goal that we could ease those effects. Um, and, and part of the problem is actually the first group of people that we spoke about, the people that that want to be immortal. Um, I think whenever a researcher Says that they want to work on on you know how to how to deal with the effects of aging. It's quite easy for them to get thrown into the power with oh you want people to live forever, um, and that can seriously have, have serious negative effects on their on their funding. Um, but um, I think in terms of the rate, we do need to look into it a lot a lot more closely. I think if you look at the demographics of of the United States, for example, um, most European countries we've got this huge sort of wedge of the population, which is, which is gonna be uh, extremely old and need a lot of help. And they're gonna be getting heart disease and cancers and everything that comes from aging. Um, and, if, and I think there's gonna be a point where we, where we wish that we'd studied aging a lot more closely um, rather than uh, the individual diseases.
0: There are many diseases of aging, but should people think of aging as a disease?
1: I think we should. Um, so there was a study back in the nineties um, that suggested that um, if we were, if we cured cancer and heart disease, it would, it would only raise the life expectancy in the U S by around three years. Um, and I think if we instead address aging with the same resources that we attack th- those diseases, then you, you would find that those diseases were you know vastly reduced um, and we'd be much better at dealing with them. Um, and it, it's clear that, that once you reach a, a certain biological age, once your body is has aged to a certain point, it's not a case of of if something's going to get you, it's it's what's going to get you. So you could survive you could survive cancer uh, and then heart disease is around the corner. Something's going to get you at that point. So if we treated aging as a disease as a disease, um, and, and saw so that that was the sort of root cause for where all these other disease, diseases emerged you could make a massive impact potentially. Um, and and so there the are clearly things that you know go on in our bodies um, when we get older that, that create the perfect environment for things like cancer to thrive. Um, and so if we can reverse the processes that make that environment, then we could make people live a lot more comfortable lives for, for potentially longer. But obviously that does not mean we'll live forever.
0: One of the practical challenges of developing therapies to slow, halt, or reverse the process of aging is that regulators don't really have a pathway for such a therapy. How would clinical trials and a a clinical pathway work for a therapy to address aging?
1: Yeah, it's a tricky question Um, because it's, yeah, it's difficult if you think about it. How, how, How can you say that someone's aging has been slowed? And how long would you have to study that person, the person, um, I guess there's so many sort of external factors, um, so many things that can make us age, uh, it, it would be difficult, um, and it is difficult. Um, there are certain b- biomarkers that you can look at. Um, but even then we're, we're sort of getting new research of, of how important they are. It's things like telomere length. We thought, uh, I think researchers originally thought the telomere length was crucial and now maybe it's not so simple, whether you want long telomeres or short telomeres, or maybe just in between Um, it's, it's a really tricky thing to do. Um, But it's also something that really frustrates the, the sort of life extension and immortalist communities. They, they believe that, that these drugs and medicines and and treatments, which could potentially address aging are not getting uh, into human trials fast enough. and some of them are actually taking the initiative themselves and just taking them themselves there's a huge amount of medical tourism in this area um people are going away to do sort of stem cell treatments or or gene therapies or or they get their drugs from abroad
0: there's a lot of assumptions that get made around how we might be able to do this and then we try something and find it has a counter effect cellular senescence is one of the the hallmarks of aging one thing people have tried to do is remove these cells to extend life, but it turned out they have an important role in protecting us. Can you explain cellular senescence and what happened when people tried to remove senescent cells?
1: Yeah, so obviously our cells are not are not immortal; um, they they do die, uh, and when they die, they become senescent, uh, and people have referred to these as kind of zombie cells once they become senescent. Um, so over time, and, and this is one of the things that happen as we age, we, we accumulate senescent cells in our body. Um, these are
0: cells that no longer divide?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So they no longer divide. They, they no longer really do anything useful as far as we could initially tell. Um, they do secrete sort of these proteins and, and that secretion does, um, does do some damage and does do some, some damage to tissue near it. Um, so they were so senescent cells for a while everyone was saying okay well we need to get rid of them um that was the obvious answer let's just find out how to get rid of as many senescent cells as possible um but then there was there was other voices that said actually these senescent cells play a crucial role in, in keeping other cells from becoming cancerous um so it's actually quite a crucial process um there's another study more recently that said if you did eliminate Uh, senescent cells it would it would affect the liver in some way as well um and i think so i think it's a much more complex than than people maybe uh from the outside looking in uh realize i think certainly the sort of the amateur biologists who are trying to make themselves immortal don't quite realize how um I, i guess how complex it is i mean not all senescent cells are the same um, so you could probably get rid of some, and, and others would be useful. Um, and maybe the the uh, what a lot of researchers are working on is is how to stop that secretion instead. Um, so uh, sort of stop them secreting the proteins which are harmful.
0: As you looked at the world of research that's being conducted, have you seen anything yet you believe would translate into an extension of healthy lifespans?
1: Yeah. I think there's a, there is a lot of promising research out there. Um, definitely to, to make us healthy for longer, to increase health span. Um, the problem is that you need sort of patience. It's not, it's not there yet. And it's too early to say. And and I think that's exactly what people don't have. And that's understandable because if you're getting older and you want to live longer then the last thing you want to do is, is wait for more research. You want to try everything there is. Um, in, in terms of extending our lifespan, there's—I don't think there's been anything that you know has made a mouse live longer than than it's expected, five to seven years. Um, so that's not saying it won't happen, but it's just a kind of indicator of how far off we are. There's lots of promising things, and obviously, whenever something is found to slightly uh, de-age or 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 um, extend the health span of a of a of a mouse or a, uh, another animal, you get these headlines, which all over the world, you know, miracle cure, we're finally going to stop aging. Um, and, and, and yeah, that's, that probably doesn't help, uh, the expectation when it, when especially for these people that are working on it. Um, I think there are a lot, a lot of potential treatments out there that say that they will make you live healthier for longer. And some of them are real. Some of them are completely false. Um, uh, but I think one thing that, you know, I mean, I think just listen to your doctor would be the best advice I give to everyone (laughs) and do the sort of basic things that they say, um, you can, you could go and get sort of these expensive stem cell treatments, but I think you, probably just be better off doing the the common sense things. Um, and and that would, that would have a better impact on your health span. (laughs)
0: Not long ago, we featured Chris Mason, a principal investigator on NASA's twin study. One of the things that study found was that telomeres of astronauts in space actually got longer. This is the the caps on the end of chromosomes and a, a biomarker for longevity. What they eventually determined was that it wasn't space travel, but the highly regimented diet and exercise that astronauts had while in space that accounted for this what's known about diet and exercise as a means of life extension and and do we overcomplicate the issue?
1: Yeah, I think that's exactly it. Um, there's, I don't think, I I still think the best thing I did a lot of research into a lot of different potential ways to, to make yourself live longer. And the best thing still is to eat healthily and exercise. Um, that's the absolute guaranteed, uh, thing that will, that will make you live a healthier and, and probably longer life. Um, it's it's weird because anything that you saw sort of, there's this sort of weird flip side of the, of the immortality coin where you've potentially got long life on one side but cancer is w- weirdly on the other you, you could do something that would improve your one biomarker that would improve your longevity but that could also increase your in your chance of cancer um so yeah you can try all these things um but you you best off probably just living a healthy lifestyle, which a lot of these people do, um and, and they're just trying to max it out by doing extra things. But um I think if we ever do reverse aging, if we ever do crack this, it will be ex- an extremely complicated solution in the end. um It won't be sort of one silver bullet. It won't be you know something to improve our telomere length. Or I think it will be a series of different things that we have to do and preventive medicine to to help us live longer and live live healthier. Um, so, yeah, that has great sort of scientific barriers, but also, um, I guess, societal barriers in in, in in how easy it is to, to get preventative medicine to, to people.
0: There, There's a notion among some people that there's an upper limit to life, uh, about 120 years or so. Is, is there any case for that? Or do you believe, as others have suggested, that the first person to live to 150 has already been born?
1: From From the gerontologist I spoke to, most of them believe that we have an upper limit and it, and it is around 120. Um, some of them did say uh, go along with the 150 person has already been born. Um, it's sort of split, split the, uh, the researchers, I think. Um, but the, I think, I do think the majority do think that 120 is, is about our limit. And at that point you're going to die of something. Um, interestingly that from the people that do live extremely long lives, um, I, I, spoke to, um, a geneticist, um, George Church, who said, you know, they have looked at the, um, they have mapped the genomes of these people that that live to very long lives and, and they don't really haven't really told them very, very much. Um, there's just too many different things or too many possible things that could be causing them to live longer. Um, so yeah, I'm happy to be proven wrong. And if I, if I lived 150 myself, I'm not going to complain. Um, But I I don't think, uh, as long as I'm healthy for those 150 years, I wouldn't want to have like 50 years of of hell. Um, But but from what I see and from what I hear from people that are far more intelligent than me, I I don't think that I'll see a 150-year-old during my lifetime.
0: The book is The Price of Immortality, The Race to Live Forever. Peter Ward, author. Peter, thank you so much for your time today.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It's been great.